Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Book Club. First rule of Book Club is you must always talk about Book Club. Second rule of Book Club is tell everyone about Book Club. basement is live yes for those of you who are listening it's very dramatic to watch it's very dramatic moody we are in the book club basement welcome to the book club basement for another spell with another book so for the next four weeks we're going to be on never split the difference negotiating as if your life depended on it by chris voss now the background behind this i'll just give you the back page, and I'm under strict instructions to read quotes more slowly today, even though I've drunk a lot of coffee, is a former FBI hostage negotiator offers a new field-tested approach to negotiating, effective in any situation. Um, so what we've got here is some guy who's ex-FBI, who, to be fair, when you read through the book, you're going to realise has done some pretty heavyweight... He's a cool guy, I'd like to have a pint of beer with him. Definitely would like to have a pint with this guy. He'd be on my list of interesting people to have a pint with. Yes, very um, much so. And as we get into the book, you've realised, you know, he's, he's been around the block a little bit. Um, and he is a, to be fair to him, it's very clear he's extremely credible and an extremely credible authority in the world of negotiation at the highest level of possible stakes. Yep. So what we've got is a book about negotiating and then it, it's applicable and applicable to business. Well, yeah, I've been on his website. I haven't actually. It's What's a top the... website that he is selling to big companies. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a point later in the book where he does let slip that he's charging twenty five grand a day. Yeah, yeah. You look at services. his website; he looks like a man that charges that. Much. And you realise maybe that's why he didn't want to come on the show. Yes, I, I actually even his used rate. his own email format to contact him. Yeah, well, and he said this email never fails. Ironically, it failed on him. Yeah, a bit unfair, really. Yeah. But let's put some great content together and maybe Chris will come and join us for half an hour via video link at some point. So, how have you been with this book? I mean, I've really uh, liked it. I've already recommended it because I've, I've read the whole thing. As have I. Um, I read it first. And, um, I read it second. <laughs> and I've already <laughs> recommended it to a few people, actually. I tell you what it is. It's nice reading. So, so when you look at the salesperson's persona... Yep. Actually, it's made up of lots of different parts. Yeah. And it's nice reading a book on one individual part that doesn't make reference to the parts. So there's no reference to making a cold call. There's no reference to multi blah, blah, And it's nice just concentrating on one particular part. I think he's quite interesting as well. You know, he starts each chapter with a story. His stories are and quite the interesting. the stories are so compelling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I listened to... I, I'll tell you how much I liked it, actually, is I've also bought it on Audible, and I'm listening to an Audible again just to reintegrate the learning a little bit really liked it so it was excellent right so let's begin i think i was more positive than you though on it well let's get into it and discuss it okay then let's go yeah so for those of you who are listening out there this is the first time that we've done this where we've read the whole book in advance yes 
uh, before we've started. Gives you a very different perspective. Yes, it does. Whereas every other book we've done on Book Club, we've read week on week as part yes. of the Book Club show. This is, we, we've read it all in advance. So I think today we will cover chapters one and two. Okay, okay. Should we do that? And then we'll ca- cover chapters three, four, and five in the next episode, six, seven, and eight in the episode after that, and nine and ten to finish. All okay. Good? Yeah, I'm good. Right. So one and two. So it begins with chapter one is what he calls the new rules. And he, he gives some great stuff here about how he'd worked at Harvard, um, how he'd... He, the first thing I liked is he mentioned some of the books that I am already have every intent of reading. Um, yeah, so one he did is for me, actually. Bargaining with the Devil, When to Negotiate, When to Fight. He, he, I like this know, one, Getting to Yes. I think I might have read that, though. Ages ago. I think it was a bit of a de facto standard. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um and then on page three, I've already made... You, you know when I like a book, Pricey, because I put... Because you actually make notes. I actually make notes on sticky notes inside the book as well as scribbling inside. Um, and he talks a little bit about uh, open-ended questions. And this question that's going to come up a lot, how am I, am supposed, I supposed to, to do, do that? that? Nice question, that. And we're going to talk about this question a lot in various different forms throughout the book, but I, I, I really... The, the Samaritans have got a go-to question, which is, how do you mean? Yes. And this what guy, his go-to question is, how am I supposed to do that? Yeah, what do you mean? Yeah, absolutely. And he, and what you're going to get here is a very diffusive style of taking the sting out of very emotive situations, aren't you? How am I supposed to do that? I'm sorry. How do I know he's even alive? And I absolutely... What I, do you think, what do you make? Because he uses I'm sorry a lot, and he actually puts it into his, like his structure of his sentence. I really like that I do it a lot. With really? people often, yeah. I'll go. I'm worried I'm about so the reverential sorry. nature of that. I, I often do it where I want people to talk more. I'll say, "I'm so sorry. I just don't quite feel I really understood what you said there. Could you expand on it, please?" Right. Fair enough. And I do it in a deferential way where it doesn't feel like I'm probing for more information because I don't want them to think, "Oh, this this cunning little sales guy's digging for more info." Fair enough. And then they just keep talking. So I sometimes do it if I want people to keep talking. And I really like that. It's very diffusive. And I could imagine in a very emotive negotiation style that self... Because I know where you're at with it. You're thinking, being apologetic all the time. Yeah, I'm not sorry. I'm not I'm not sorry. I want to know I the nearly answer said to I'm the not question. fucking sorry. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sorry. And I'm not sorry. I want to know the answer. You just tell me. I thought it was interesting, actually. It would suit different people. It might, you know, the healthcare market, it might suit a little bit more. Yes. With some of my clients, you don't have to apologise. Just ask them the question. Correct. There are certain buyer types yeah. where... Now, he's worried about upsetting the but opposition. But let's get it right. Because they've it, got a gun hold to his kid's head. They're holding a gun to somebody's head and they are much more volatile than the well, people more you volatile. and I are dealing That's with. the only bit I was thinking as I read it is there's more volatility in the end user that he's dealing ah, with. But what else. he would say is that the emotion, and we're going to get to that later on in the book, the emotions aren't that dissimilar. Yeah, yeah, I guess. And that there's an awful lot of emotion going on. So, you know, I'm three pages in and I'm really, really into it. Um, and he starts talking about being the smartest dumb guy in the room. And a lot of this is about being very disarming. Yes, it is, yeah, absolutely. Uh, in all senses of the word. I once had a client, you know, years ago, and he said something to me, he said, never let anybody know that you're clever. Yeah, never let anybody know you're smarter than them. And I thought it was a really sort of wise, he says that a lot, doesn't he? Yeah. He says a lot, I'm just a simple guy from wherever. wherever I'm just from. a simple cop, bloody blah. And you think, yeah, okay. 
Yeah, okay, um, you're clearly not, because he's charging 25 grand a day. But. Absolutely, and he, he starts talking. I like this story about how he ends up in this room doing this negotiation thing in Harvard with this bright guy on yeah, an MBA, on an MBA programme. So just, just the back story to that is he gets invited to Harvard, and, and there was two things, wasn't there? On the, Harvard had a model of negotiation. Yes. They built a model, yes. is what they built. And actually the FBI sort of followed that model a little bit, but then the FBI went down a different negotiation style. Yeah, and what you're going to find is it you kind of almost go through the journey with the guy during the book yes. as to how actually both he and the FBI finally arrived at this style. And there's a lot of humility in the book about some of the screw-ups that have taken place to get and some of the pain that has taken place to get the FBI and him as a, as a negotiator yes. to this almost finished model of a negotiation process, isn't there? Mm. So he'd done his winter course, you know, he, he, he says when he's doing this negotiation with this lad on, on a price thing, um, he said, it's a passive-aggressive approach. I just ask the same three or four open-ended questions over and over and over. They get worn out answering and give me everything I want. Mm -hmm. And in many respects, that's kind of the crux of the book, but it does go an awful lot deeper than that. And what he's going to get into, and the, I think the thing I have really enjoyed about the book is... He gets into a lot of the stuff that a lot of our other authors just don't really get into. Yeah, he does. Aren't, aren't equipped and don't want to get into. Particularly later on in the book, he gets into some stuff that really, for me, is all about craftsmanship, um, which I really appreciate. So what he, he the, the, the sort of the precursor here in what he calls the new rules is, and I'll quote him again, in my short stay, I realized that without a deep understanding of human psychology, Without the acceptance that we're all crazy, irrational, impulsive, emotionally driven animals, all the raw intelligence and mathematical logic in the world is little help in the fraught shifting into play of two people negotiating. And that's where he's going to take us in the book, really, which is, is really neat. He's going to get into some of this, what's going on inside people's heads. And you know, you know from me, Pricey, that's the part of selling I enjoy the most. I do, yeah. I mean, he gets in some very interesting stuff in the first chapter where he uses the phrase listening as a martial art. Love that. Great, isn't it? And he says, listening is not a passive activity. Yeah. And that's a smart thing to say, because I think very often that a lot of salespeople actually don't listen. They think they're listening. But they're not listening in the way that he means it. I call it, you know, people call it active listening. I call it listening with absolute aggression. Actually desperately wanting to hear Mm -hmm. desperately wanting to understand that's listening most people what a lot of salespeople do is they're on send and listening is something that happens in the pauses in which they're yeah, it's not just a talking. pause for them yeah absolutely and they pick up on the occasional bit but what they're not quite doing is almost for me it's the difference between nailing a bottle of wine and smelling it and savoring it and really Sort of. I can remember when we used to do some training with people when you used to record the calls and listen to the call again. Yeah. Fascinating thing to do that, actually. Absolutely. The, su the subtlest nuances. And yes. that's the part of... For me, that's the bit I actually enjoy the most as a salesperson. That... Yes, well, you know, intricacy. you're trying to sell to needs. And if you don't really listen, you're never yeah. going to know the needs. The intricacy of going that deep... And then he starts talking about Daniel Kahneman. He's really, really inspired me to, to read some Daniel Kahneman. Has he? Yeah. Who's I, I, Daniel Kahneman? He's a behavioural economist right? Um, and psychologist. And I think he wrote a book, Thinking Fast and Slow, 
which is an incredibly popular book, but by my own admission, I've never read. And what he talks about is how feeling is a is a form of thinking. Um, and, and stuff that comes up in Kahneman's book, it is self-evident, this is a, he quotes Kahneman here, it's self-evident that people are neither fully rational nor completely selfish, and that their tastes are anything but stable. And that hum humans all suffer from cognitive bias, that is, unconscious and irrational brain processes that literally distort the way we see the world. Kahneman and Tversky discovered more than 150. So what he's talking about are different types of biases, and, and what we're really getting in here, I wrote here, fascinating background to the book, um, is that we've got all these different emotions, and what he's really getting us thinking about is people are emotional, irrational, yes, feeling creatures, and and what I and what I really loved about this, I mean, I'm 13 pages in here, is if you look at the books we've read, Keenan. Anthony Anarino and, and, and Jeb Blurn and all these, they kind of touch on it, but what they're not really getting across to the reader is just how emotive humans are in a buying process. Yes, but I sort of like them as well for that. I think don't there's like, a degree to which you can do your nuts in too much. Yeah, and you can all, I get you, that. You, you can you, almost end up in a rabbit hole that's beyond your pay grade. Not beyond your pay grade, but beyond the, the need to do it. You know, I'm a big... Um, is, and you know I'm a big fan is return for time spent. Yeah, bang for your buck. How much bang for your buck? You know, and if I've got a two million pound target, well, that's 160 grand a month. So it's all fine and dandy doing what this guy does and listening. Am I better off though? Well, I've just finding three people that I can talk to, and one of them buys it. Well, look at us and our, and our business. You know, yeah. One of the things I wrote later on in the book is this is brilliant, and I'm not going to not recommend it. But there is an issue of scalability, I think, is the point you're yeah, making. Yeah, yeah, 100%. How scalable is it to he's, build, he's an, spent build six, a team? He spends six weeks on the flat in wherever it is, Harlem or something. He spends six weeks talking to one person who doesn't talk back to him. I mean, as if you can do that as a sales guy. Yeah, you know, or I think in the Philippines or whatever, just it, it, there's... From a knowledge perspective, this is a big rabbit hole that you could end up in. Yep. And actually, maybe sometimes you're better off just sticking more shit in the top of your pipeline and not worrying so much about what the correct. He's, he's got a very narrow funnel, this man. Understandably, but he's well, absolutely. If he, he was closes, a sale, if he was a salesman, you'd say it closes not, a lot of it. It's though. not a particularly good-looking funnel. That I like but his best, point. Best he close some. Yeah, exactly. I, like, I do like his point about life being a negotiation. I've always said that. Yeah, you and, and he points you out. You know, you negotiate with your teenage kids. Don't I know it? If you saw my daughter's bedroom, and I'll tell you what, whilst I was reading this, my daughter was away last night. She's come back. And she, she's back home for a bit. And her bedroom, genuinely, it, people talk about the phrase, it looks like a bomb has hit it. It really does look like a bomb's gone off. Right. And my missus always clears it up. And I have thought a lot about, how, this has made me rethink a little bit about how are we going to negotiate the tidying of that room without well, well his point is it. his point is about hostages and it's where the book comes from never split the difference yeah in this chapter he says i can't say well you have two hostages and i'll have two i've got to have all four hostages yeah and that's your point with your daughter's yeah. bedroom isn't it it can't be half clean it's got to be clean yes it needs to be tidy to my specification but well, i've got but i i have got to get her to buy that and i'll tell you what the, the book itself has really got me thinking about that. And he talks about, you know, wh where he arrived at this point 
It was clear if emotionally driven incidents, not rational bargaining interactions, constituted the bulk of what most police negotiators had to deal with, then our negotiating skills had to laser focus on the animal, emotional and irrational. And that involves calming people down, establishing rapport, gaining trust, eliciting the verbalisation of needs and persuading the other guy of our empathy. Sounds like a sales process to me. So we're in really good company, I think, here. I think this is a very different paradigm of thinking about your salesmanship in general and not just negotiating at the end of a deal. Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you what this is. This is going down to the driving range and just working on your seven iron, not going around a golf course. Yes, it's that part of it. Yeah, very much so. So he says it all starts with the universal applicable premise that people want to be understood and accepted. Listening is the cheapest yet most effective concession, concession we can get make to get there. I actually wrote in my notes here, well worth reading a book called On Becoming a Person by Carl Rogers. Later in the book, he alludes to Rogerian counselling and Carl Rogers. Right, okay. And Carl Rogers talks a lot about um, that whole concept of empathy and holding the space for the individual. And that's a lot of where this goes. And for me, I love that. Okay. Because it's very much in my model of selling, really. Um, life's a negotiation. Uh, and then he says, you know, everything, your career, your finances, your reputation, your love life, even the fate of your kids at some point all hinge on your ability to negotiate. So he really is setting it up well. Yeah, I mean, the first chapter is a setting up chapter. It doesn't actually necessarily cover any one particular topic. Yeah, I mean, in my notes here, I've written, effing finally, a book about listening, and we're not talking about denigrating the concept of manipulating people here. Thank God for that. Um, and what I mean by that is he talks about an approach to active listening and then specific tools, turns of phrase, the ins and outs of the final act, um, and what he calls tactical empathy and labelling, things like accusation audits. There are some people I think who are going to read this. Um, you know, like last week we were reading The Secret Code of Salespeople, or whatever it was. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we had the author on, didn't we? We did, to be fair. And, uh, and, and Ian was a really good bloke. And he, you, me, him, we all talked about this concept of manipulation as a salesperson. And what we did, is, yeah. What isn't manipulative. We need to move on from it, really. <laughs> yeah, this bloke is much more about being manip unashamedly manipulative. And you know that's... But manipulative for the good. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which I really like. Okay. And then he, he talks about, in every negotiation, there are between three, he says we're going to get to what he calls the black swan. Yeah, the, the it's really interesting. That's the last bits. chapter. And there are three to five pieces of hidden information that would change the deal. Now, it's interesting. I had a candidate who recently was unsuccessful. And we Neither of us could work out why. And I talked to him about it. He's gone out and bought the book. This one? This one. Already read it. Yeah. And he was laughing. He's saying, I wonder what the piece of information we don't know as to why I was unsuccessful is. Well, look at the one we were talking about earlier. The black swan. So I was talking about a case earlier, wasn't I, where I've put a candidate into a process. He's the best guy for the job. But actually, we know that the black swan is that the fact that he's the best guy for the job is embarrassing for somebody else. And that that somebody else is going to do everything they can. And to that's the black that swan. His black swan will come on. In fact, we'll come on to it as a chapter. So let's cover yeah, that Yeah, well, let's not cover it too much. But that, I thought, was a fascinating chapter and a fascinating element of the book. Okay, so now we're on chapter two, Be a Mirror. It's got a good title. Yeah. It's a good start. Yeah, absolutely. And I love the stories, Pricey. Stories are great, aren't they? This is the one about the Chase Manhattan Bank, isn't it? Yeah, well, have you ever seen a movie called Dog Day Afternoon? No, I don't watch many films. Al Pacino, 1975. 
would know where to watch it. Sidney Lumet was the director. Great. Still not going to watch it. True story. Still not going to watch it. <laughs> Sounds garbage. <laughs> the, the 1975 bit put me off. Um, but, I mean, he, he, his first subheading is Assumptions Blind Hypothesis Guide. And he's saying great negotiators use their skills to reveal the surprises they are certain exist. I think that is so true, don't you? Tell me it again. Great negotiators use, use their, their skills. skills to reveal the surprises that, that they are certain exist. And I've been a sales recruiter now for 19 years. Somebody I've known for all that time can phone me. They can give me a job brief. And if it's too easy, the first thing I'll say to you is, it's too easy, this. I don't know where the problem is. Because there's a problem in everything, isn't there? Yes. And not you and negative, I were always not trained. in a negative way, but there's just a problem in you everything. You and I were always trained to find the surprises. Yes. That was that's how we what were he's trained. talking about, yeah. It was, we were trained to, to find those uncovered bits of information. The in NLP, we call it deletions, distortions, and generalizations. Well, he, he goes on, he says, too often people find it easy to stick with what they believe using what they've heard or their own biases. They often make assumptions about others before even meeting them. Now, I actually underline this because I think there's a point at which you've got to make an assumption about somebody before you meet them to make some sense of the world. Well, you don't have to, but what you do have to do, and I think what the point of the book is, is saying is you've got to accept that you've got a cognitive bias that's going yes. to make an assumption. Yeah. And the point he's making is we've all got our assumptions. You know, the phraseology I would use is we all have our own map of the world. Yep, I'd and agree with that. Everybody turns up at a meeting or in a negotiation or in a hostage situation. Each person involved is looking at the world with their own individual map of what the universe looks like. And what he's saying is you've got to get an understanding of what that other person's map looks like, not yours, because yours ain't relevant. Yes. Um, I don't think he really says that, actually. I think that's you saying that because you're right. Yeah, but what he's saying is your goal at the outset is to extract and observe as much information as possible, which, by the way, is one of the reasons that really smart people often have trouble being negotiators. They're so smart they think they don't have anything to discover. Yes, That's true. a really interesting point, isn't it? Yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he says, great negotiators are able to question the assumptions that the rest of the involved players accept on faith or an arrogance. You know, it's little things like all estate agents are Charlie Ungle, November Tangos, aren't they? And they're those the little assumptions. Oh, he's an estate agent, he's going to be a shock. Oh, he's a recruitment consultant, he's going to be a bit wide. Oh, he's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they, therefore, they change the way in which they want to sell to you. Yeah, and I think the metaphor I'm using is if you're a really great negotiator, you go in and you think, well, I've no idea what the map looks like, so I'm going to draw it as I see it. Yes. Based on the information I gather at the time. And I think that's... A, if you're reading the book, and I really hope you are, that's how, read that through, it's really good. You know, and then he talks about the less important he makes himself, the more important he I probably is. Exactly the same Go thing. on, tell me about that. Well, it's true, isn't it? You know, you, uh, it, uh, I have found in all the time that I've been selling that the people with the most power rarely shout about it. I'd say the best example, I think, was Chris Spencer at Enos. Oh, you'd have never known Chris was as powerful. Never really. He was the most was. powerful man. Yeah. He was the most powerful well, man. Well, it was like Game of Thrones, wasn't it, Enos? And he ended up being sitting on the Iron Throne. Yeah, it was, but he was the most powerful man. He was the most modest. He looked unassuming. He looked like a shambles. <laughs> he did, didn't he? He sort of just looked like a very unassuming guy. Yeah, and actually, there was the other I think guy. The shambles Sean. is a bit harsh. I don't think he'd dispute it. <laughs> there was Sean Thingy, whatever his name was, who was sort of sharp, well clipped, well clipped, sort of middle class guy. You looked thought. like 
The way he looked like David Cameron, didn't he? Yeah, exactly, yeah. And you thought, oh, he's the decision maker. But then actually, he was you asking realized, him. You realised, actually. He was asking him. He was just a figurehead and he was deferring to the other guy all the time for Absolutely. advice and Absolutely, 100%. But I think that's true in a lot of organisations. We've got a client at the minute where the final interview includes the CFO. Yeah. And you think, that's a strange person to take but on. But he's the most powerful guy in the One business. One of my candidates said that to me. He's got an interview there on Wednesday. I'm like, why is the CFO there? Because so, I so know what, which client you're talking about. I said, what do you reckon? He is so powerful in that company. In fact, you and I have discussed it as far he is actually the CEO, isn't he? Oh, without a doubt, yeah. But he just hasn't changed his job title. But, you know, you'd look at the two sales guys that are going to be present. They're big, imposing, you know, intelligent characters, and the reporting line goes through them. And some of it is, you know, the thing about this is, some of it is statements of the outrageously oh, bleeding obvious. It's not, you... it's not really that, it, it's not, it's really not that easy to listen well. He is right. So right. And then he goes, until you know what you're dealing with, you don't know what you're dealing with. And that, on surface, is a very, very simple thing to understand. But actually, you know, we talk about these cognitive biases that we take into uh, uh, a meeting until you know what you're dealing with, you don't know what you're dealing with. Yes. Just that ability. And, it, it, you know, it's really got me thinking about... It, it's. I've got to say, you know... Well, we're the, all judgmental, aren't we? It's I'm, an inevitability. I, I am a judgmental... It's inevitable to be judgmental. Person. I'm not really, but I must be, because we all are. You know, one of the... Well, it's one of the things you learn when you're a Sam, isn't it? Is to see your own judgmentality. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And be incredibly cognitively aware of it. And to be fair, I've let that drift a little bit. I think this has really been a kick up the bum for me. That line, until you know what you're dealing with, you don't know what you're dealing with. So shut up and observe and listen. I'm excited about getting back to the office and getting on my blower. Yes, I do agree with that. About just until I know what I'm dealing with. I think that's really powerful. Um, calm, the, the next bit he calls calm the schizophrenic. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've been, I was on that, actually. I, was, I, I quoted that a little bit a minute ago. And he's talking about how, for example, you know, when they're doing negotiation calls in tight situations, they might have a myriad of people all listening to the same call, all making notes, with one person on the call and everyone else listening, just picking up for the most subtle, subtle nuances of what people are saying, the changes in tone, the, you know, the, the little differences between things like I and we. Yes. You know, it's well, a little bit like when a candidate turns around to you, isn't it? And you What's say, your target? Our target was. You're just on oh, it. All right. So our target. Go on, our target. Reflective question. Um, and seeing where you get from there. And I, th I think that's, that little bit of it, that's great. You know, I wrote here, when did you stop listening to people, Jonathan? Fair enough. On a big pink slit. The more I read it, I thought, you stop listening, mate. Um, and he talks about how Again, you know, people are easily overwhelmed. He, he gives the, the George Miller uh, research paper, he cites that, where he talks about people being capable of dealing with, I think it's seven plus or minus two pieces of information at any given point in time. And how, therefore, actually there's only so much information you can take in and how easily distracted we are by the other pieces of information when we're in a meeting or a sales call or, or, or whatever. Now, this bit I didn't like. Go on. The voice. Tell me about the oh, the radio voice. Yeah. What's your object? So just explain what he means here, Mike. 
So, so, so here he's talking about actually using a different. He used a different voice. Why do you feel that's incongruent? Yeah. I've tried to coach people to do this. So, for the listeners, what he is talking about is what he changing your voice. He calls it the late night FM DJ voice, and he's doing that to be to be calming and to get people into a sensible zone. I just think that that is incongruent. I don't think it's incongruent. I'll tell you what it is. Is it's specifically dependent on an individual who is capable of modulating their voice consciously. I just think it's insincere. Remember Oliver Frankel? I can. I'm going to mention him. I don't care. Um, Or think with no tone, no ability to modulate his tone. He can't do that. Yes, but that's different now. Because actually, the issue with his voice is that actually he doesn't speak correctly. What, is, keep what his, his general diction is He called. can keep his tone the same. Yes. But then actually speak correctly as well. And that would be a marked improvement. I don't think middle class people, you know, which by and large is our, our target and user audience, I don't think they have a problem with his Yorkshire accent. I think they have no. a problem with the fact that he says think and with and, think st- with. and generally stupid things. Fam. Bruv. Yes. Exactly. But the voice, the actually changing your voice, not a fan, will not be doing it. Um, More than anything, I think it's a skill in and of itself to be aware of the tonality of your voice. And I think to be consciously aware of the tonality of your voice is not an easy thing to do. It's just not something that there's work. The the time and return invested in You've got to be sufficiently consciously competent at everything else that you're doing that you can consciously divert mental brain power and resource. I don't think he did that. I think he just started speaking a bit quieter. But it, it, but I don't want to denigrate the power of the tool. What you're it's denigrating not, is the, use, the usability of the tool in our world. No, I'm, I'm denigrating the sincerity of it. You just think it's incongruent. I just think it's insincere. You know, I think that... Maybe we need to try it, Mike. Well, I'm not going to. Okay. Go on then, Jonathan. What's your what's your sticky note now? My sticky note now. Says, you are mirroring, aren't uh, well, you? Well, can you remember a fella that we used to deal with? There was a fella once that I placed called Mike Kenny. And Mike right. Kenny had a daytime radio FM voice. He did, yes. And it was very powerful indeed. Um, well, you can remember it. Ah, oh, but he got jobs over and over and over again. I think that was the IT market more than him. He was he sounded it was great. A, he just sounded it was IT, believable. He was an IT salesman in 2000. He sounded believable, you know? Um, it didn't. It just sounded exciting. The most powerful tool in any verbal communication is your voice. You can use your voice to intentionally reach into someone's brain and flip an emotion. So are you switch. telling me you will change your voice when you're well, talking to somebody? I sometimes do. So the answer to that is yes. Yeah. Right. So I, I often do, for example, with a gatekeeper. I'll do it with if a gatekeeper, If, if, if a gatekeeper answers the phone, I go, In fairness, I do that with a gatekeeper. software company, yeah. So I go, hello. And I'll mirror them. Well, I speak, to, I speak to gatekeepers in that way, actually. Um, and often if somebody picks up the phone, and I'll often mirror and match. Often. Fair enough. Well, the next section most, is and on then mirroring. He says, and then he says, most of the time you should be using the positive, playful voice. It's the voice of an easygoing, good-natured person. Your attitude is light and encouraging. The key here is to relax and smile while you're talking. A smile, even while talking on the phone, has an impact tonally that the other person will pick up on. Interesting that Christine Ty used to tell me to smile while you dial. When I was at Parcel Force as a young boy. 
And she actually used to put a mirror in front of our faces. Right. Smile while you dial. And we all used to sit there like this. If you're listening, that was a smile on my face. Um, <laughs> and Playful wasn't the move with Chris Watts. This is the guy in the bank. The way the late night FM DJ voice works is that when you inflect your voice in a downward way, you put it out there that you've got it covered. I do believe in that. But like you say, I think it's very hard to coach and teach. Yes. You know, or or watch, change. Yes. If you watch Darren Brown, he does it really well. And, and often I've tried to coach yes, people. But he's a hypnotist. Yes, that's, he's a pro. But aren't we? No, I'm not a professional hypnotist, no. We're professional persuasion engineers, though, aren't we? Yeah, I just I think that's too much to swallow that. Anyway, let's move on. So we're now talking about mirroring. Which is the next section in this chapter. Which is obviously going to be a good technique, isn't it? Yes. So just explain what he means in this context by mirroring, Mike. I can't really remember, actually. It's that long ago since I read it. It is actually, though. I'm just the head of my book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was just talking about mirroring the situation, wasn't he? Mirroring people, mirroring the tone. Yes. I didn't actually write that many notes on mirroring. Listening reflectively, I didn't actually. I've not written any notes for five pages now. Six, Funny, seven I pages. I didn't. I think it's... What I, I, have I, what I actually about. wrote seven pages down was interesting, but relevant to me. Here you go. Because there's quite a lot of it. And I, and I sort of, I'm knocking it a little bit, but it makes it interesting where he is just talking about a hang, uh, where he is just talking about hostage situation. Which is it's, it's, really interesting. It's interesting, but, but it's not, not relevant, relevant to our world. Exactly. Yeah. No. But then he does make bring it back into relevance. So what he talks about is these four simple steps. What Use page your, are you on? I'm on page 44. Ah, right. So you have skipped all the bit where I said there wasn't anything there. Yes. Yes, um, I thought this. Sage advice. Use the late night FM DJ voice. Start with, I'm sorry. I'm Mirror. Sure about, I'm sorry. Silence. We love a good bit of silence, don't we? Mike? Yes. 100%. At least four seconds to let the mirror work its magic. So, let, so let's go quiet for four seconds. Let's see how long that is. Right. Go. Stop. Quite a long time, isn't it? Well, people will fill that sort of silence. Yeah. Although if, you'll get the occasional if you've one. If you've mirrored to them, but you'll get the occasional one that's as passive aggressive as you that will just sit there in silence. You see, I, you see, I'm, I wouldn't say passive-aggressive. I'm belligerent enough to ask somebody a question and literally not answer it for them. I don't care how long I've got to wait. Me neither. Now, I know I damage my relationship now then, with Every them. now and then you get one where they just think, oh, you think, oh, shit, he knows what I'm doing and he's going to stay silent longer than me. Yes, but you end up, you end up having respect for them after that. Yeah. Because you, you've, you've set your boundary with each other. Do you other, ever get to you? a point where you sat there going, right, it's got silly now. One of us needs to talk. No, I wouldn't break, Jonathan. But I don't think the candidates dislike that. Or just people in general. Yeah, so that's really, really good. And I actually wrote on one of my pink little post-it notes here, I'm so pleased somebody's talking about genuine, true, reflective listening. Because you know that's been a bugbear for me throughout all this time that we've talked about book club. That For me, the killer tool the killer tool in a salesman's armory, above and beyond anything else, is their ability to listen actively and reflectively. I do agree with that. I do agree. I with think that. it's the number one killer tool. It's better than your strategic no, strategic knowledge. You kill. You listen actively and reflectively properly. Listen like a Samaritan or a well, child. Well, did, did anybody ever lose about. a sale for listening too much? No. Never. Nobody ever complained about a salesman that listened too much. Did anybody I ever lose a sale? Off the account. Did anybody Whoa, ever lose a sale by talking too much? Too much? That one. Yeah, he listens too much. Really? I like the way the book's written. He listens too much and he really understands me. Oh, right. I like the way the book's written, by the, by the way, because you come to the end of this chapter 
Um, summaries are great. The key great lessons. Great summary. You know, he's put his key yeah. lessons, six key lessons. You read it and think, yeah, okay, cool. Really like, I like the way it starts the chapter. I like the way the chapter finishes. I, I actually surprised myself in terms of not getting really bored of his stories. Yeah, I mean, you and I both know we're reading a we're reading a lot of books here for book club, um, and some of them are a bit like, oh Jesus, this feels. One like of them, I can't remember which one it was. I just bounced through this. I, I actually had yesterday. to stand up so that I didn't fall asleep <laughs> whilst I was reading it. It wasn't this. I can't remember which one it was now. You had to stand up. And I thought I'm going to have to, I thought I'd stand up whilst I'm reading it, otherwise I'm going to fall asleep. Literally, my eyes were closing as I read it, but not this one. So that's the first two chapters of Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. Good, good book. We're really in, aren't we, actually? I think this, I would say it's probably the most enthusiastic we've been about a book for a while in the first two chapters. And energised. Yeah, good book. Down here in the dark recesses of the book club basement. Yes. Great. So that's another episode. Tune in next week where we will be talking about chapters, I believe, three, four and five of Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. Goodbye. Thank you.